All right. Yeah, let's give it up for our first time guest, everybody. Let's give them a hand clap. <laughs> Has the rain put you all to sleep this morning? All right. First time guests, let's show them love one more time. We can do better than that. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Hey, brand new series today, Perennial Architects. Is anyone stoked about that? Praise God. Um, wow, it's already open to the scripture. Thanks, Lance. Hey, can we give HL Worship a hand clap? They are phenomenal. Um, leading us into the presence of Jesus Christ every morning. Wow. Let me turn up the brightness here. Going to be very informal this morning. I don't feel too well. So if you can get under me this morning and shout me down and Give me a few hand claps. It's going to be a great morning. <coughs> you can hear it in my voice, can't you? I'm raspy. All right, sorry. So join me here. Uh, not quite yet. All right, we're ready to go. Hey, did you know that, uh, who, who's ever been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Got one back there, two. Awesome, so two people. That's great. I was doing some reading on this tower, and um, uh Banano Pisano, I think that's his name. He was the first architect of it. The year was 1173. And um, it was originally a bell tower for a church that it, uh, situ that it situated right next to. And um, <laughs> he didn't intend for it to lean. Um, and so I think around the fifth year of its construction, 1178, when they started to construct the third story of the tower, it, it, it began to lean. And, um, and it took 200 years to construct. Um, uh, another group of architects picked it up uh, a few years later, and they finally completed it in 1372, so about 200 years. Um, come to find out over the past 700 years, um, it's not leaning, it's actually falling. It's falling at two millimeters per year. It's a slow fall, but it's falling. And um, eventually it's going to just crumble because the more that they attempt to um, reconstruct or uh, um, compensate for, for the leaning and, 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 you know, they make this side shorter and this side longer, the, the heavier it becomes. And the reason that it's falling at two millimeters per year is because of, of the foundation that they built it on. They built it on sand and, and clay and shells. And so there's nothing that we can do to stop the Tower of Pisa from falling. And so, you know, they say that um, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. A failure to plan is a plan to fail. And so uh, God gave me this series about two months ago, Perennial Architects. Number one, I just love the name. Doesn't it have a ring to it? Someone tell your neighbor this, say Perennial Come on now, whole crowd, perennial architects. My goodness, this is so good. I got to studying for the series, and I was reminded that we can build our lives on many things. But, boy, if we don't build it on Jesus, it's going to crumble. You can build your life on, on yourselves, on your, on your education, on the neighborhood that you live in, on your relationships. But let me tell you, if you don't build that thing on Jesus, 
it may be falling at two millimeters per year, but unfortunately it's going to fall. So this series is all about, all about building our lives on what stands the test of time. We want to build our lives on what stands the test of time. And then you're going to see around week three, we're going to take a turn. And we're going to talk about how, as a church, you don't just want to build your life on what stands the test of time. But you actually want to build what's going to stand the test of time. Because Jesus is only coming back for one thing when he returns. And that's the church. And the church is composed of people, so you're in the right place. Yeah, so, you know, no one ever plans to get hired at a job and say, hey, I'm going to be the worst employee that you ever had. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm going to be a jerk <laughs> every, every day I'm here. No one ever plans to get married and say, hey, you know what, let's get a divorce around year two. Um, no one ever plans to go into $100,000 worth of debt. But for some reason, we wake up one day and we find ourselves there. And I think a lot of it has to do with the foundation by which we found a lot of our lives upon. And so um, perennial architects, year-round, everlasting, building on what's going to stand the test of time. Join me in Matthew chapter 7. We have Jesus Christ here, the man. Verse 24, he says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built not on sand, not on shells, but on bedrock. Anyone who listens to my words. So today we want to talk about his word. His word. Jesus said when he was on the earth, he said, not one jot or tittle of my word shall fall. Everything I say shall come to pass. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, Jesus, I think I want to build my life on your word. And so I want to bring three points of encouragement today. His word, number one, never fails. (laughs) His word never fails. This is going to end off so good because someone asked me a question the other week about, you know, what it was that had me up till 1 a.m. when I first gave my heart to Christ, reading the Bible, pre-med, and finish my work at 10 p.m., and then staying up until 1 a.m. reading the Bible. And I'm going to share that with you a little bit later on here. And uh, I gave him an answer that I had never gave anyone, but um, it never fails. It never fails. I remember when Jay-Zil started playing t-ball. He was doing phenomenal. Any t-ball retirees in here, you Put away your jersey, Annie, in the building. And so, you know, that sucker stands on a tee and just lines it up. And uh, and so he was perfect. He was the best hitter on his team when he was four years old. And, and Judah is right behind him. And so then from there, he transitioned to coach pitch. And so they give you a nice little 30 miles per hour coach pitch. And so his first few practices when he started coach pitch, he, he was – it didn't look like T-ball. He was, he was striking out a lot. He swing that thing and he'll miss it and he'll miss it and he was getting very discouraged. And so I started to watch him around the third practice because the, the game was after this third practice. And what I, what I was noticing, the reason he was getting so upset was because his dominant arm, um, his elbow was always down. 
elbow was always down. So he's swinging, he's striking, he's striking. I'm like, man, this isn't. And so, I, you know, I took him home uh, after practice that day, and we just did some, some practice in the front yard. And I said, Jay, put that elbow up for me a little bit. Just put that thing, just put that thing right there. Put, put that elbow up for me a little bit. And so he put it up, and I gave him a nice, nice pitch. And I said, put, put that thing back up for us. And so you started to see his confidence build because that elbow was, was in the right position. That elbow was, was in the right place, and so we have his first game. He's the last at bat because he's the youngest player on the team, and that's all good. No one's offended. We're not like super freaks, parents of baseball or anything like that. But he's last at bat, and and this is he gets up there, and here he is. Strike. Strike. I say, Jay, put your elbow up, son. First ever coach pitch hit, far outfield, you know, and Jay runs those bases, man. And, you know, you're five years old. You don't even know who to throw to. And it's actually his first hit was a home run. He makes it all the way around back to home because he's freaking fast like that. And so what I've come to find out, and, and it's been four years now, is that as long as he keeps that elbow up, he gets off that base. It never fails, baby. It never fails. As long as he applies his father's word to his life, it never fails, baby. As long hey, you gotta keep you gotta keep that elbow up. This Bible is the elbow. You gotta keep that sucker up. You may miss the first pitch, you may miss the second one, but you're getting off base. This word is the elbow, and see what Jesus is dealing with here is he's dealing with a few different dynamics. He's dealing with hearing versus listening. So if you pull my verse back up for me, Andrea, he says this. He says, anyone who listens, take it down, please, Andrea. Anyone who listens. Because hearing is nothing but processing sound. There are about 80% of you in, right in here right now that just hear my voice. About 80%. The other 20 of you, you're listening. And you have every intention on processing what the word of God is saying and applying it. Or, or, or when you're reading, I want to give you something, an acronym. I didn't put it on the screen. You have to utilize R-bar. R-bar. And none of you are taking notes, but you got super amazing memories, and that's okay. Um, R-bar. Read. Believe. Apply. Receive. Read, they say the dullest mind is sharper. No, no, the dullest pencil is sharper than the sharpest mind. So I'm going to say it again for you, and God bless you. Read, believe, apply, receive. Or you can do L-bar. You're sitting under a sermon. It's a pastor that you can trust. You know that his or hers teaching is, is valid, and you've, been, you've entrusted your soul with this person's teaching, and you know it's legit. You've been applying it. So I would use L-bar. Listen, believe, apply, receive. You can read Scripture all you want, 
that as long as you're a skeptic, it'll never work. As long as you are a skeptic or a doubter, it will never work. So Jesus says, anyone, meaning this, meaning this, he says that my word is for anyone. Anyone. And then there's another parable where he described the conditions of our heart. He says some hearts are stony ground, some hearts are thorny, and some hearts are fertile. So before I, I, I preach, before we, you know, during prayer, I said, come on, Jesus, patty cake, come on. Like, Jesus is looking for faith. You, you do understand this, right? So the reason why I kind of insulted you a little bit was because I was attempting to, in a sense, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you to begin to open up your heart. The reason why worship is so important is because worship prepares your heart to receive the word from Jesus. So as long as we're just kind of like this, like this, like this, you know, there's no passion in it. It's, it's that much more harder for the word of God to be implanted into the soil of your heart. So Jesus says anyone that chooses to listen. So don't just hear. Process it. And then test it in the world. And he says that the person that does that, it's like they're building their lives on bedrock. Because the storm is going to come. The storm is going to come. I've seen this to be true in my life. As a matter of fact, I love applying scripture. Here it is. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous will prosper. And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The mere fact that my wife and I, this is no kudos to us, but my wife and I, we left everyone we love. My dad right now is, is probably in his last stages of life. And I knew this before we moved, that it was going to come soon. My dad's 80 years old. I'm 30. He had me when he was 50. I knew that the last years of his life, I would be 1,000 miles away from him, going somewhere where God called me to meet people I didn't know so that their lives could be changed. But what we've been able to find out here is this. The generous will prosper. We, we've given our all, we've given our time, our prayers, our attention, and, and for whatever reason, this is the most prosperous season of our lives and of our marriage. And it says that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So I would like to say this, you all have been just as much as a blessing to us as we all have been to you all, and we love you because of it. But this is the thing, when you apply the word of God, don't just read it, don't just feel good about it, say, you know what, hmm, let me go and refresh somebody else. You know, I got $100 in the account, but God is calling me to spend 50 on this person. Let me go ahead and spend this 50 on someone else. When you apply what it says, you can get the promises that are hidden there on the inside. The generous will, so the instruction and prosper is the promise. The instruction is to refresh others, and thou shalt be refreshed. Proverbs 35a says this. Every word of God proves true. Every word proves true. And in order for something to prove true, it has to be tested. Can we agree on that? It has to be tested. So I, I just want to encourage you this morning, when you live on what Jesus says, you'll come to find out that it never fails. 
even in the midst of the storm. I almost put, uh, there's a verse in Corinthians that says, flee sexual immorality. And so in college, when I first gave my heart to Christ, I had a girlfriend. About two weeks after I started following Jesus' hard body, the Holy Spirit was like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, no, 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 brother. This can't happen. She got to stop spending the night. She got to take her butt home, and y'all got to get on the same page. And so what, you know what? I went ahead and I happily showed her the door, and it was from the age of 19 to the age of 26, purity and celibacy. You apply Proverbs, I think, 18.22. The Bible says that he who finds a wife, not a girlfriend, not, 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 I don't even know these words. I'm getting old. Not a girlfriend or these new words that y'all use these days. He who finds a wife obtains favor from the Lord. He who goes and gets his own thing obtains trouble from himself. That's uh, Joshua uh, uh, 100 verse 10. That's good. That's good. I came to find out seven years it was tough. But, but, but Paul even says this. He says, for I reckon that the present sufferings that you're currently enduring are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. So whatever you consider suffering today, as long as you apply the word of God, this is what you come to find out. And yeah, I may, I may have been celibate for seven years, but man, I ain't missed nothing. I'm good to go. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Matthew 7, 26 through 27 says this, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. I love it. He, he switches it up here. Hold on. So verse 24, he says, anyone who listens. You, you got to, ev- every red leather letter in the scripture, man, you, you got to. Man, this is Jesus talking. Just You see how he switched that up? Go back to verse 24, Andrea. I'm feeling at home this morning. Anyone who listens. Then now go back to uh, 26. Anyone who hears. This is a different word he's using. Because to hear means to just receive sound. So he says anyone who's present but's not not listening, this is the result. He says this here. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Do you know that foolish is a curse word in scripture? Thought you said Jesus never sinned. He didn't. Because his instruction is right. It's not a curse word. This is this is the truth. Is foolish. And he says this. He is like a person who builds a house on sand leaning tower of Pisa falling slowly patching it up so God knows you're leaning he knows when we're leaning we, we may look like we're doing okay hey man we just came out of three months of straight up encouragement this is a tough one today I mean we did winter circle the highly unlikely. You can appreciate me for these, but I got I to gotta get in your heart. I got to get in your heart this morning. 
like a person who builds a house on sand. When it rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. We have to understand, number two, that his word is for my good. It's for my good. Dream cars, dream cars. Let's take a survey here. Lambos, Lamborghini, dream car. Ferrari, dream car. G-Class. Oh, now y'all being holy. Come on now. Come on. No, give me a Pinto 92. Now, what do you want to drive in? Don't mean Audi. All right. There it is. All right. Cool. Now, watch me shame all of your dream cars out there. Watch my holiness. I'll be honest. This is my dream car. I want a fully loaded Nissan Maxima. It's nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, in 1996, uh, no, no, I had a 90, I'm sorry, I had a 96 Maxima. My mother gave it to me um, my senior year in high school. I couldn't take it to school my freshman year, so I came back uh, my sophomore year and got it for college. It started to develop a leak in, from the engine, and we fixed it. It was the valve cover gasket, and uh, my dad got it fixed, but he said, son, Keep an eye on it because it's going to leak again. Valve cover gasket repairs never, they don't last too long. So I said, okay. And he said, pay attention to wherever you park. I would say over the next year or so, pay attention because as the oil spots get bigger, you know that it's starting to leak again. And so um, sure enough, about a year and a half, I was midway through my junior year, um, that sucker started to leak and I started to smell the burn of the oil from the engine. And so I called my dad and I said, well, did we get it fixed again? What do we do? He said, this is what you need to do. Go buy a quart of oil and put it in your trunk. Because it's leaking now, what it's going to start to do is it's going to start to stutter and get shaky. And when you accelerate, it's not going to want to accelerate because there are other issues going on on the inside now. And so when it starts to do that, what you need to do is pull over, pop that trunk, grab that oil, and put it in the engine. You need, to, you need to grab that oil and put it in the engine because it's going to get shaky, and eventually you're just going to, it's going to combust. I just want to say this, that the word of God in our lives is like that quart of oil that I used to keep in my trunk whenever my 96 Maxima would get shaky. And so whenever I would put that oil in the engine, it enabled it to run smoother and better because the shakiness came. Do you understand? The pushback is going to come. The challenge is going to come. That person is going to offend you. That person is going to hurt you. The illness is going to come. But you need some oil that you can sustain your life on. And so let me just tell you this here. The word of God has the power to keep your life going. And what you sustain your life on today will determine what your life looks like tomorrow. Does that make sense? In in a generation of quotes, Will Smith said this, Jay-Z said this, President Obama said this, Harriet Tubman said this. in In a world of quotes, 
None of those are sustainable because none of those are the word of God. None of those are the word of God. And so Colossians 2 says this, and now just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Pause. Take the verse down, please. Now, as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. The reason why a lot of Christians are so frustrated is because they thought he did it all on the Sunday that they professed faith in him. He did it all spiritually. But the Bible calls us to what's called the process of sanctification. God's goal in your life is for you to look more and more like Jesus. And the only way that you can do that is to continue to follow him, to love like Jesus, to be committed like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. Jesus never missed the day of church to say, hey, I need to cut this vacation short and get my butt back to church on Sunday like Jesus. Jesus never missed out on anything. And so he says here, as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Verse 7, bring it back up. I love this. This is one of my life verses. It says here, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. So this, this is what this tells me that there is more to Jesus than what meets the eye. Let your roots grow down into him, into him. This, this spring of life that's in Jesus, this, this freedom, this, this power, this, this wisdom is, is in him. And build your life on him, on him. On him. Paul is being very specific about where your life should be, Bill. This is, this is the, the promise here. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you. Here it is, millennial generation. Here it is. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. If anyone who hears my word and does not put it to practice, they are a fool. And he says this here. He says, rather from Christ, verse 9, and in Christ lives all the fullness of God. Every, hear my heart this morning, please, hear my heart. Everything that God has for you is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. All of the fullness of God is in Jesus. And so he says, allow your roots to grow deep down into him. The reason why a lot of you don't feel comfortable doing the things you used to do is because your roots are growing deeper into him. 
the reason why a lot of you are putting down alcohol and drugs and you're not fornicating anymore and, and you're getting a passion and a burden for the broken is because your roots are going deeper into him. All the fullness of what God has for you is in Jesus Christ. It's just, it's all up in there. It's, it's just, it's just in there. And it's all free. And it's all, and it's for your good. And it says this here, so you are complete through your union with Christ. Stop looking for it in the world. Stop looking for it in the next, uh, and then it's, it, it's all here. It, it's, it's, it's all here. Your union with Christ. Your husband is there. Your wife is there. Your finances in Christ. Your freedom in Christ. Your happiness in Christ. Your strength in Christ. Your liberty in Christ. Your purpose in Christ. The world that's waiting on you to change it is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. It's in Christ. Sorry, I'm having a moment. And I got to let it out. Who is the, come on now, I got to praise. Who is the head over every ruler and authority? The words of Jesus are for my good all the time. And you can clean your nails this morning, but you go be the one who's just hearing it. Better pay attention to this word. I'm talking to somebody right now. Matthew 7, 28 through 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. This is my favorite part. This, this is the point I preached to. I was trying to get through all that other stuff. This is the point I wanted to get to. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Someone say rules are for robots. Rules are for robots. And so this was the way the religious teachers used to teach in Christ's day. They had the Bible. Then they had what's called the Talmud. So they would read the Bible. And the Talmud was a book of interpretations. They would read it. Then they would read it. And that was it. There was no inspiration. There was no dialogue. There was no nothing to it. It was just a recital. And so the crowds were amazed because he spoke directly to the people's lives. <coughs> In ancient Greek culture, around the time of Jesus, um, philosophers were attempting to find the ultimate reality behind what we saw, like the ultimate meaning, the source of everything that exists. And they, they struggled with this for a few decades philosophers of Christ's time, and finally they came up with this term logos. The term logos means word, and logos was this term that they used to define the ultimate reality behind everything that we see, everyone that we see, and the word logos came to be understood as the source of everything, as the very thing that gives life. Logos is what the philosophers 
came to find and to understand as what, what gave life and the sustainability of all things, that thing that they couldn't see. And the thing about Logos is that they, they defined it as being impersonal, meaning it was just something. What we see in the scripture, and we see in John chapter 1, pull that on up for me. John is Matthew's buddy. This was also a disciple of Jesus Christ. The word logos means word. And we see John break the rules of philosophy in his day. He was a follower just like Matthew, and he said this, in the beginning was the logos. It already existed. The logos was with God. And the Logos was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, talking about Jesus, who is the word. And nothing was created except through him. You were not created through any other means but Jesus. There's a reason why the crowds are amazed. And it says this here, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone, the Logos. And so what we see here in John 1.14, go ahead there, Andrea. We see, so the word became human. And his home, and his home was made among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So hold on, let's back up. Let's let's redefine. Let's 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 put these things in the right area. So the logos to Greek philosophers, because you know the world is still trying to find the answer that you already have, right? So they said, man, what is the ultimate re like what sustains life? What what brings life? What brings vibration and vitality to to human beings and, and what causes this plant to to come out of the ground and, and what causes this person to breathe? What causes us to think? What causes us to to be free from addictions? What what is this? You know what? The only thing that we can come up with is the logos. And the Logos was still something that they were reaching for. It, it just had a definition. So the Apostle John, having seen Jesus raise people from the dead, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, having seen the Logos die and then raise on the third day, he said, you know what? I think I got an answer for you. what, you, what it is you're trying to consider and figure out here. I think that the Logos is Jesus. I think that the word is Jesus. And it says that the word became human. My third point of encouragement is this, is that the word, you're going to have to find it, gives life and is life. Jesus gives life. And Jesus is life. The moment Jesus says, hey, I am done with Marvin Sosa breathing. That's your last day on earth and your first day in heaven. No time soon. You got about 70, 80 more years on your life. Don't worry about that. But the moment Jesus says, you're done. Ah. <laughs> uh, they were amazed because Jesus didn't speak to them like they were robots. 
They were amazed because he taught with authority. And when he spoke, life entered into their hearts. Purpose entered. Power entered into their hearts. And so I was asked the other day by a dear friend. I was taking him out to lunch. And he said, Pastor, this is such an amazing question. He said, um, he said, you know, and a lot of people have asked me this, and this answer hadn't hit me until this day. He said, where can I begin to read the Bible and keep the momentum based upon where I start? Like, I, I want to find somewhere in Scripture where I read it, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to read the next book or the next chapter. Keep that momentum. And it hit me. It dawned on me. Because he's, he's really asking that question, referring to all the times I've told everyone, you know, when I first gave my life to Christ, it's like, how do you give your life to somebody, but you don't figure out who he is? So when I first gave my life to Christ, it was, did all my pre-med stuff in undergrad, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. on average, I'm in my scripture. I can't trust you with my soul or not. And so um, I said, you know, I never gave anyone this answer, but it hit me. I said, I believe I said, that's a great question, where to start. And so my encouragement to you is the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's a great answer. That's the right answer, but more of a heartfelt answer because you're not a robot. And that doesn't mean because I said that you're going to go start there tonight, but you're a person. So I said this to him. I said, you know, I believe I was up spending time with Jesus so much in my early days. I believe I was up spending that time because of who I wanted to become. For a lot of y'all, y'all just missed that, so I'm going to say it again. The reason I spent so much time, and I continue to until this day, spend time with the word of God, is because of who I wanted to become. At that time, the single person, I needed to be informed. Who am I? I can't find my identity in my singleness. I got to find it in Christ. The husband I was going to become one day. Life is life. The father I was going to become one day. The forgiveness I needed to offer my dad for not being there in the way I wanted him to be there. The leader I was going to become one day didn't stay up till one because I was learning. I stayed up to one because this gave me life. And every time, do you understand that right now you're holding Jesus in your hands? And every time you, you get into this word and you digest it and you ingest it, you're receiving life and life and life. And so I, I didn't know, though, that the 19-year-old me would lead me here before you. But now that I know, I know where the 30-year-old me is leading the 40-year-old me. Because I continue to go to the source of life. So my encouragement to you today, build your life on Christ, but more so, what's ultimately going to last in this earth and when Jesus comes back, is his word. Let's give the, hand, the word of God a hand clap of praise.
Let me tell you, man, I, um, even today, you know, I, I finished my message Saturday. And I just, I don't know, I felt kind of weighed down. I said, Lord, I just want to spend some time with you. So I put on some Nat King Cole Christmas music. Went to the Psalms. Opened it up. And uh, was just reminded of how much I'm loved. Everything that Christ did for me. I was reminded of why I'm here in Gaithersburg <laughs> and not in Orlando with my father. Because people here need us. That's what God has called us. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering <coughs> rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary safe beneath the shelter of your wings. That's life. Psalm 61, 1 through 3, in case you wanted to know. Psalm 61, 1 through 3. Let's bow our heads, church. If this be your prayer, lift your hand at the end of it. I'm going to pray the prayer of salvation. If you want to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life today, He stands the test of time. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There's no other place you can build your life and expect to be blessed into eternity. So I'm going to pray, and if that be you, you just lift that hand. Father God, I am a sinner. And thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for living the life of perfection that I couldn't live. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for being the source of life and giving me life. Lord, I repent and I turn from my life of sin. I ask that you would make me new today. Jesus, make your home within my heart. Send your spirit. Jesus, I thank you for destiny. I thank you for a purpose and future. You are Lord. You are the Son of God. You are God. In Jesus' name, amen. If that be you, churches, with your, head, with your heads bowed.